There have been all these government efforts lately to make college more accessible and more affordable. Like last week, President Biden announced that he was canceling over a billion dollars in student debt for some student loan borrowers. And right now, as many high school seniors around the country are trying to figure out their college plans, they are filling out a new version of the free application for federal student aid, also known as the FAFSA. The FAFSA application is essentially the gateway to billions of dollars in federal student loans, grants, as well as state and college scholarships. Lots of people use this form in order to determine whether or not a student has enough financial need to merit scholarships and grants and even what they would qualify for loans. Danielle Douglas-Gabriel is a national higher education reporter for The Post. She's been reporting on this revamped FAFSA that Congress ordered. The FAFSA went through a pretty tremendous overhaul. Uh, This has been three years in the making. It is a shorter form now. It used to be a joke in Washington that the FAFSA was way over 100 plus questions and some senators would unfold it in the middle of hearings as a champion call of why it needed to be shortened. So let me give you an example of the difference, if I can hold it up. This is the 108 questions. This is the 33-question form that would make the difference if we could enact it this year. It used to be pretty complicated, lots of financial information, easy for folks to get tripped up. But this new formula is supposed to be a lot simpler and offer a lot more aid to a lot more families, low-income as well as middle-income families. But the rollout of the new form has been incredibly bumpy. There have been long wait times, glitches in the system, some errors that lowered how much aid students were told they qualified for. And this has made it more complicated for many students to plan their future. Everyone's kind of suffering here because it's a shorter timeline. To make a really tremendous decision about your future, not only your career and academics and all that, but your financial future. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Tuesday, February 27th. Today, why the introduction of the new FAFSA has been so messy, and what the consequences of these delays will be for schools and families. Danielle, can we just start with what is the free application for federal student aid? How did this program come about and what was it intended to do? So the program was really supposed to make it easier for families to apply for federal as well as state financial aid. On the federal front, this is the gateway to the Pell Grant, which is the largest form of grant aid uh, that the federal government offers students. And by grant aid, I mean money that you don't have to pay back. That's an important part. As well as uh, figuring out their eligibility for student loans, whether it be uh, student-based loans or the loans that parents take out for their children. On the state side, uh, this application helps states to figure out some of their scholarships, the ones that are need-based, and it also helps colleges figure out which students can use the additional help of the money that the school has. And so it's a really important 
part of the overall um, college journey, not just for new students, but for returning students as you have to fill out this form every year that you are in college. And how long has FAFSA been around? Since 1992, so it's a a grown full adult at this stage. (laughs) Yeah, you know, Danielle, it's interesting. I remember many years ago, I won't disclose when, when I was applying to colleges and filling out this form, it was just, it was so intense and it actually became a point of contention in my household. And was this what the application process has been like for most students? This this arduous, you know, almost torturous process to, to fill out this form. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Not only has it been that way. I mean, that was my experience as well. Uh, and I think that is one of the, the reasons that members of Congress really wanted to make this easier. Because for some students, if they didn't get through the form, they would refuse to fill it out. And as a result, be leaving a lot of money on the table that would help them pay for college. And so to avoid that, the best route was to simplify the form, make it more user-friendly, make it easier for families as well as colleges uh, to access and process. And that's what this whole massive overhaul was supposed to accomplish. Mm. So what did the form look like before the overhaul and what does it look like now? Like how many questions do there used to be and how many are there now, for example? So there were over a hundred questions on the form previously. I mean, you've been able to do this online for, for several years now, of course, but even then it could still be a little confounding for some folks. And there were lots of complaints about not being able to completely finish it within an hour for some folks. It would take days. And the other thing is if you did the paper form, well, that was like filling out your taxes. That was not fun at all. So with this new round, uh, Congress passed one of two acts, was called the Future Act, and this was like 2019. And that made it a whole lot easier for the Education Department to just pull tax data from the IRS. What that does is when you go to open the FAFSA, if you check the box that says, yes, please pull my tax data, well, that answer is like a quarter to half the questions on the FAFSA. So that means that you have to spend a whole lot less time filling out the form. Well, so it sounds like these changes would be really welcomed by anybody who is trying to go to college, go back to college, and would have made the process for applying for and getting financial aid much easier. So what happened? Did it become easier? I mean, it is if you can get through. But the trouble is, you know, we're talking about a 45-year-old system that hasn't had any massive upgrades for decades. And uh, it certainly was an undertaking that the Department of Education has said several times that was far more overwhelming than they than they had uh, perceived it to be initially. And as a result, we've had a series of delays, delays in getting the form out. It's, it was delayed by a year. Then also delays in getting the information from the forms to colleges, something that normally would take 24 hours, 48 hours, is taking a month. And then there were just technical glitches. There were problems with the form itself for some families. There were also problems getting into the form the first week of which it became available. A lot of that has gone away, but there's still some errors that are tripping some families up. And certainly perhaps one of the, the big errors that actually led to another delay is the Department of Education neglected to update a really critical piece of the formula that determines how much aid you're eligible for. 
So the department decided we're going to fix it for this year. Well, in doing so, that means it's going to take um, almost another six weeks for the Department of Education to get colleges applicant data because they have to go back and readjust all of those tables and recalculate all of the people who submitted the FAFSA, their data. I mean, Danielle, it sounds like this Byzantine nightmare almost over like how to update a website. And it reminds me a little bit of when the healthcare.gov website was unveiled. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, the platform for for this new government program was so full of glitches and it created all these headaches. Has the Department of Education said anything about these delays and have they given any indication as to when these issues could be resolved by? So, you know, I, I think that's a great analogy to look at the healthcare.gov. But I think the thing that's that's challenging here is that it's not just the interface glitches and stuff. A lot of those things have been resolved, but the big issues is the delay in getting the information to the people who need it. And they need it in order to make these financial aid offers. And those offers are critical because families need to figure out where they can afford. The department has said, look, Congress never gave us money to do this, which is true. Uh, they also said we don't have, we haven't had enough staff in various points over the last three or so years to get this done in a timely manner. All of that is true. But, you know, a lot of conservatives who've been looking at this situation are saying to the department, well, how did you find the time and money to do all the debt relief stuff, but you didn't find the time and money to do something that was congressionally mandated? And so you're seeing a whole lot of tension there between what the department says it has been able to do and what everyone else on the outside is looking at what the department actually has done uh, with little to no uh, delays or trouble. So it's, it's, it's a really tense situation, a lot of finger pointing and blame to be spread around. But at the end of the day, the people who suffer the most are the families who rely on this money. After the break, Danielle shares how these FAFSA delays are leaving students and financial aid officers in limbo. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. How have these delays impacted students? Do we know how many of them have been able to successfully apply for financial aid? 
So more than uh, 4 million people, I think at last count, had already submitted the FAFSA and those numbers keep growing. So people are getting through. And when they do, you know, a lot of students I've spoken to are saying, oh, it only took me five minutes. It only took six minutes. And that's great. That's That was the whole point of doing this. I think the issue is, yeah, it's great you submitted the FAFSA, but if the school that you want to go to can't get that data until mid-March, well, everyone's in a holding pattern, right? Because you need those offers to figure out which school is a better financial fit. And no one can tell that at this stage. You, you're seeing a lot of schools trying to respond by pushing back their deposit date. So typically, a lot of schools have May 1st as the traditional deposit date. You tell them that you're enrolling, you put a little money down. Well, a lot of schools are pushing it back to May 15th or June 1st in some cases. Others are saying they're having rolling um, uh, deposit deadlines so that allowing people to really get the time they may need to compare offers from one school to a next. One student who stands out to me is Natalie, and I'm only using her first name because I don't want to jeopardize uh, her parents' uh, immigration status. She is someone who is applying to college for the first time, really excited about the process, completed her portion of the FAFSA, but her parents couldn't get through. And that's because as undocumented uh, Americans, they don't have social security numbers. And one of the major glitches with the FAFSA this year is that people without social security numbers are having a hard time creating an ID to start their portion of the form. And so her mom and dad have been locked out and have been trying for the better part of four weeks. I mean, with the whole FAFSA situation, it kind of worries me. Like, let's say it doesn't work out. Let's say my application never goes through. How am I going to pay for college? How, how am I going to move forward? She lives in a state that has priority deadlines. So they expect that the FAFSA would be completed by March 1st, I believe was the timeline. And uh, the fact that she is unable to even say that she completed the form uh, is a little concerning to her because she's worried that she's not going to be able to access the scholarship aid that the state may provide. And they really are hoping that the uh, work that their daughter has done to show herself academically will help her get more uh, scholarship money to afford college. And then they're also hoping that the need-based aid would also kick in. And that little piece right there is what they're waiting on because they can't fill out the FAFSA. Um, I'm wondering what, what do college counselors and college financial aid directors think about the new, the new process and, and this fallout? Have you been able to speak to any and, and what have they shared with you about how this has impacted their work? So I've spoken to nearly a dozen financial aid officers across the country, just kind of gauging how they're feeling about the, the new form and also all of the delays. For the most part, everyone is really excited about the changes in the FAFSA, the fact that it's shorter, the fact that it's easier, and the fact that I, I, once everything gets underway, they really believe that it will encourage more students to apply for aid and get the money that they're eligible for. Uh, certainly this year is <laughs> uh, challenging, to say the least. And it is meaning more work for, for people who, in many cases, are short-staffed. The Department of Education has offered to actually send uh, financial aid experts out to low-resource colleges, a lot of minority-serving schools, historically Black schools, to help these financial aid officers out as they're kind of to get this work done as quickly as possible when they may not have the resources to actually fulfill that duty. 
Brad Barnett is a financial aid officer at James Madison University out in Virginia. And he was essentially, you know, saying that his office is having to pivot to adjust to all of the time timeline delays and such and try to their best to get as much information to families as possible. He's not worried that his office can do it. He is concerned about how other schools who don't have as much resources will fare. And he's most concerned about whether students will be deterred from the whole college-going experience because of all the hiccups with the FAFSA. Our hands are tied from being able to help students determine which college they can afford to go to. There's also a great amount of concern that there's a group of students who may just give up on going to college next year because they can't either get the application done, even start it, they can't get through it. They may not receive financial aid offers in a timely enough fashion. If they give up and they don't go to school the year after high school, will they come back? The next year, or will they just find a job, get into a pattern, and lose an opportunity of a higher education? I mean, yeah, I can't imagine how stressful this is for everyone involved. I'm wondering, has Congress done anything since, you know, this this concept or this notion that they didn't fund it properly? Have they stepped in to get more funding to, to make this happen more quickly? No. They have not. I mean, at this stage, you know, we are several months out from when the budget was supposed to be done. Uh, Appropriations is still heavily underway, and uh, there isn't much of an indication that there'll be an increase in funding for the Federal Student Aid Office. That's the arm of the department that handles the FAFSA and all the other financial aid uh, matters. And so I don't see a congressional solution coming for this at this point. I think a lot of financial aid officers that I've spoken to are just like, let's just get through this year. If we can get through this year and this cycle, I think the next cycle is going to be so much better, so much easier. It's just this was a far messier um, rollout than anyone had anticipated. I'm curious in your conversations with counselors and financial aid officers, do they have any advice for families, for students who are navigating these delays and as they are thinking and rethinking timelines? What what should folks know going ahead? You know, I think a lot of the early messaging from the department was wait and you don't need to rush to fill out the form. While that may be true for some people, I'm hearing from college counselors as well as high school counselors, they want students to fill it out as quickly as possible. Even if there are problems and glitches that they encounter, take a break, go back, try again. It is getting better by the day. And so, you know, a lot of patience is needed in this process as as folks are getting a little frustrated. But, you know, one parent I spoke to recently And this is someone who like on New Year's Eve was trying to fill out the form. I was impressed because he was emailing me on New Year's Eve uh, questioning why he couldn't get in. But he was able to get through. And when he did, it literally took five minutes, he said. And it was super simple, very easy, and really happy that he had done it for his son and made sure that at least he got this part of the college application process done. And they were just waiting at this stage. And I think that's the big takeaway, right? It's it's a waiting game right now. Uh, families are waiting to see what the schools that their child is interested in is going to offer and whether or not they can afford to go there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, you know, once we get past the chaos of this moment, the fallout for not everyone, but many people, next year will college and the process feel very different from how it's felt in the past? I think so. And, you know, I want to make sure that we stress that once the dust clears on this, we're talking more money to more people, right? So the changing of the formulas for the FAFSA means that more people will be eligible for federal Pell Grants. That's the money you don't have to pay back. More people will be eligible for the MAX Award on federal Pell Grants, which is over $7,000 a year right now. And it's it's hopefully going to increase once Congress gets their act together and is able to appropriate more money to the program. So this is a win. It is going to be a win for many families. And we're talking at least 1.5 million people who are going to get the MAX Award now that hadn't in the past. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people who are finally going to be eligible for Pell. That's just on the federal side. You may see even more people eligible for state grant aid. So once all of the kinks and the glitches are worked out, this is going to be good for families. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and explain all of this. Thank you for having me. Danielle Douglas-Gabriel is a national higher education reporter for The Post. Before we go, here are some other stories we're following. Michigan is holding presidential primaries today. For Republicans, Nikki Haley is still in the race, even though former President Trump defeated her handedly in last week's primary in South Carolina, her home state. On the Democratic side, President Biden is expected to win, but he's getting pushback from Arab and Muslim groups in the state, urging voters to cast ballots for uncommitted. This is because of his handling of the Israel-Gaza war. We'll dig into the primary results later in the week. Also, there could be a government shutdown. The White House summoned congressional leaders today to talk about it. If Congress doesn't act by this weekend, access to things like food stamps and housing assistance could be in jeopardy. And lastly, some retail news. Macy's said today it was going to close 150 department stores and scale back the size of its remaining 350 stores. The retailer has been struggling in recent years and wants to focus more on the luxury brands it owns, like Bloomingdale's, in an effort to get more customers back. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Sabby Robinson. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Monica Campbell. Thanks to April Bouffet. And before I leave, I just wanted to shout out our morning news briefing, The Seven. It's a great way to get up to speed on the big news of the day as you're starting your day. I definitely rely on it. You get the seven stories you need to know about every weekday morning by 7 a.m. If you haven't subscribed yet, now is a great time to start. And you can do that wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session.
Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.